Gregory, and I'm going to talk to you about the kingdom of God. I'm going to preach to you about the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you about the kingdom of God, how it works, how it is at hand, and what you can do to become a part of it, because you're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God, and you're supposed to be seeking the righteousness of God. So we're going to talk about righteousness. According to Moses, righteousness included loving your neighbor as yourself. That's an active love, a love where you actually care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. And, of course, one of the ways in which we care for our neighbor is we establish governments, and there's all kinds of governments. And, of course, the church itself is called a government. It's defined as one form of government in the law dictionaries of today and actually for law dictionaries for over a hundred years, if we count Black's Law Dictionary. And if you go back, in ancient times, the church was considered a government, and the church in the wilderness, which included the Levites, was also a government. It was a government that provided health, education, and welfare for the people. It was a system by which the people were united through a network of congregations, and those congregations maintained their society and maintained the health of their society. And, of course, society is born in the family, so it was a system that promoted the family. I remember when I first read about Augustus Caesar, and he was running for election. Yes, most people didn't know it, but Augustus Caesar had to run for the election of Principas Civitas, first citizen or president of Rome every year because he was only elected as president of Rome for a year at a time and had to be re-elected by the Senate. And actually many of the times, many times during his stint as imperator, which we know as an emperor, he actually did not win the election as president of Rome. And that was because he was far away and they, they didn't have satellite phones and all those things in those days. So they needed a president at Rome, and it was usually somebody that was uh, advocated or promoted by uh, Augustus, who was actually named Octavius. But he was also elected every 10 years as imperator, and he had taken oath of office. And his job was to be the commander-in-chief of the army and the navy, because there was no air force. So he was only commander in chief of the army and the navy of the Roman Empire. He also had another office, Apotheos, which allowed him to appoint all the imperial judges that decided imperial matters throughout the Roman Empire. Now that judge uh, that would be deciding imperial matters was also called a Theos, and he was a uh, an appointed judge that was deciding cases based on 
the statutes of Rome and the way in which the Roman Empire operated, which was originally a republic, but by the time, 500 years later, by the time Augustus Caesar won the battle with people like Mark Antony and others over who would rule Rome and defeated them, <clears throat> he uh, was able to consolidate his power and moved on from there towards more and more dictatorship of the people, more and more control over the people. Much had changed in the 500 years before he came to power, but that changes were so gradual, a lot of the people didn't notice them. Those who did could not seem to get their act together. One group did get their act together, and they were called Christians, and they were often persecuted because of their beliefs. What were their beliefs? What were the early Christian churches actually doing? Well, in truth, they weren't doing a lot different than what the Israelites were doing back in the days of Moses. They were doing something quite different than what the Pharisees were doing in uh, Judea. And the Pharisees also did not like the Christians. And we're defining Chris Christians here. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, we're defining Christians here as those who uh, cared about their neighbors as much as they cared about themselves, those people who were seeking the kingdom, those people who were following after Christ and accepting Christ as their benefactor, as their even as their king. These are the ones who, who do contrary to the decrees of Caesar and say there is another king. And, of course, Pontius Pilate said Jesus Christ was a king. And Jesus said... I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father has appointed unto me. And he had said also, It is my pleasure to appoint unto the little flock a kingdom. The difference between the kingdom that Jesus was appointing, and this is often why we don't seem to recognize it, that and a great deal of those what he calls damnable heresies that are going to creep in, is because the kingdom of God as appointed by Jesus Christ to the apostles was a system of government where the leaders were titular. They could not exercise authority one over the other. They operated according to the perfect law of liberty, by faith, hope, and charity. Now, they were benefactors. They took care of the needy of their society. They helped each other out. They uh, sent relief when there was uh, economic dearth or uh, dearth in uh, uh, other parts of the Roman Empire, they aided one another in a constant uh, flow of charity, but they didn't exercise authority. Rome provided charity too, but it was government charity which is uh, provided by uh, benefactors who exercise authority. In other words, those benefactors take from your neighbor gather that money up in a treasury. Some of it is taken away or eaten up by moths, as Christ refers to, or stolen. But some of it comes back to the people in the form of benefits. And that was the system of government offered by Caesar, by Octavius, who was called Caesar. 
Octavius, who is also called Augustus, Savior, Savior of this Rome. This service is provided in high... Uh, this, this idea of providing benefits for the people of the world by exercising authority was not new. Nimrod had done it. Lamech had done it. Cain had done it. They did it in Sodom and Gomorrah. They took care of people, but they did so with offerings that were forced. Herod tried it. He set up a system of baptism where you could get baptized and you would be registered and once registered with their government building, which we called the temple, you could be provided with welfare and that welfare would trickle down to you through something called a synagogue now the word synagogue is usually translated synagogue in the bible but it's not always translated synagogue in the bible in the new testament at least in one place the word synagogue is translated uh, congregation and uh there actually is uh, several, you know, the word, actually the word uh, congregation or assembly, I think, actually is what is translated. But anyway, we're going to talk about that. <clears throat> we're going to talk about this word congregation and what it means. And we, we've talked about it before, but we're going to look at it in a little bit more depth uh, to understand that word congregation and what it means in the context of the gospel of the kingdom. The use of the word can be examined by comparing it to the ancient text and the history and uh, of the activities who accepted the word of the prophets and did the will of the Creator. The word congregation only shows up once in the entire New Testament, and it was translated almost uh, always translated uh, from... Uh, the word synagogue when we look at it in the Old Testament because we see the word congregation all over the Old Testament although there are several words that appear in the Old Testament translated congregation and they are not similar words they are actually very different words if we look at uh, uh, these different words throughout the uh, Old Testament we're going to see a certain word uh, that is spelled uh, with a hey and a delus and a an. And it has a kind of a <clears throat> shorter version of that, which is delus an. And it's translated witness a bunch of times. And that's what a congregation really was, was it was a witness. And it was not just one witness. But ten families got together and they picked a minister, and by picking that minister, electing them, you can even use that word, electing that minister, choosing that minister, they were bearing witness that that minister, in their eyes, was recognized as a minister of God. Now, there were Levites, of course, that were uh, the result of this calling out that Moses had done. There was a golden calf built in the midst of Israel. And most people do not understand that golden calf. There were golden statues often found inside of 
the uh, city-states of those days and earlier and afterwards. And as we've talked before, the one in Athens was referred to as the reserve fund, and occasionally they started cutting off pieces and melting it down and making coins out of it to pay the army when they were be, uh, being seized or under attack. And that's really what these golden statues were all about. It was a concentration of wealth. They didn't always have vaults with, you know, time locks and all that thing, so they would take a, a, all their gold and they would melt it down into a single block so that no one guy or ten guys could come and grab it and drag it off and run down the streets robbing you. I mean, if it was in coins, guys could slip a few coins in their pocket, and you'd have to be constantly co counting the coins. But uh, the idea of uh, creating a lead statue, covering it with gold, and slipping it in the place of what is uh, this big statue in some public building uh, was not going to happen. Uh, it wasn't even, you know, a hundred men couldn't carry it away because gold is extremely heavy, and if it got any kind of size to it at all, the idea of robbing the vault meant taking that statue away. And, of course, if anybody was caught sawing off a chunk of it, uh, guards would run out, there'd be a hue and cry, and people would come and stop them. So it was a way of consolidating your wealth into a central place. Now, in Athens, they also had a treasury where they did have coins, and that's what they used on a day-to-day -day basis. But the reserve fund was the statue. And it was a way in which to bind people together because if all your gold was melted down into the single statue and a bunch of Amaleks or Malachites or uh, whatever came running over the hill to attack you and kill you and drive you away and steal and rob from you, you had something to gather around to protect because if that gold was stolen you would, you, the wealth of your community would be gone. If you had all your gold in your pocket and you saw a lot of Amaleks and Malachites, it would be very possible that a dozen of you or a hundred of you or five hundred of you would, might get your gold and your families and take off across the hills and abandon everybody else. And they were always afraid of that, that they would divide you and conquer you. So they consolidated their wealth to make sure the people stayed together in one place. It's practical. It makes sense. But there are some bad things that will happen when you do that. You will become dependent upon that centralized wealth to bind you together. And God does not want that. He wants you to love your neighbor, to be there for your neighbor, to honor and protect your neighbor because you love them. Can you do that? Will you do that? If you have the golden statue of all your wealth, then your focus is on protecting the statue, not protecting your neighbor. It's a minor little thing, but it changes the righteousness of your actions. You're now motivated out of a selfish motive rather than motivated out of a, a motive of love for one another, a love for righteousness, a love for honor. And when we talk about these things, you know, the men and their uh, military, like Marines, and their honor code and all that, and those are great things. 
But if we organize our society in such a way that we are not dependent upon honor, we will become dependent on other things. And what will happen in such a society is it will lead you to a socialist state where now you think you can force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. That's the next step away from the kingdom, is socialism. The first is this common purse, this central treasury, where Jesus said not to put your wealth, where thieves and robbers can steal it. Moses told you not to do that. He said put it in your pocket in a little purse. Now some people make, well then uh, you know, I have to get that little velvet lined purse and, and I have to you know, get my prayer shawl and i got to get all this. But they don't understand the purpose of these rituals. And so they focus on the ritual, which is a form of idolatry, rather than focus on the essence, the precept upon precept. It's not ritual upon ritual, it's precept upon precept. So, like, we're having a festival out here this, this month. We're going to have a festival every uh, uh, year. And different times during the years, we'll have different gatherings out here in Oregon. But uh, one festival that we open up specifically to the strangers in our midst, to other people who want to come and meet us and come and see things, is our Burning Bush Festival, which we're going to have on Labor Day, every, you know, the weekend of Labor Day, whenever that is. And uh, then people, we hope that people will go back. We have people here uh, uh, this last week and the week before, uh, having uh, preparing for another festival that came from New York and came from Tennessee and came from New Jersey and came from Texas and California and Iowa and that some of them, many of them, Illinois, many of them carpooled uh, in groups and uh, some of them, you know, rode in, uh, uh, wanted a caravan back uh, and forth to come from a long ways off. Some came uh, the lonely drive all the way out here, and they camped for a week or two weeks and got to know each other. And we they are part of what we call the Living Network, which is what these early governments really were. We have this picture of the Israelites out there in the desert traveling along uh, in a, some sort of single file. They had animals. They had to be scattered out. The animals had to go up the sides of hills to get graze and, and get feed and so they weren't always together and so sometimes they were vulnerable sometime an Amalek or Malachite or a thief or a robber might just come out of nowhere and attack them and they would be all alone and vulnerable but they weren't all alone because they had a system of self-government that was based on love for one another when they blew their shofar far away you would hear other shafars answer and men with sharp things would be coming over the hill shortly and the Amaleks and Malachites suddenly realized that when you attack one Israelite you attack them all they realized that it was not good to steal from an Israelite we do the same thing out here with coyotes we don't have to kill all the coyotes we don't have to kill all the bobcats we just have to convince them that if they go anywhere near the sheep Men with uh, uh, rifles will show up and shoot at them and drive them away. And uh, that's what, you know, their rods uh, shall comfort them. <laughs> my rod and my staff shall comfort them. Someone asked a question about that. 
to use the rod to discipline the sheep. The rod and the staff is never to hit the sheep. It's not to discipline the sheep by smacking them. It's uh, to guide them or to drive off predators. That's how they use the rod and the staff. One is uh, a weapon to drive off uh, predators, and the other one is just the stick that you point out in a direction. You kind of say, go this way or go that way, and occasionally you'll have a crook on it, and you'll use that crook to hook a sheep and pull it in and pull maybe a burr out of its uh, eyes or, or check a wound on its leg or see why it's sick. But the rod and the staff is not to discipline them, not to force them. They come. People see our sheep come over the hill, and then in the evening we take them back. But we don't even have to walk with them most of the time. They'll just go back on their own. They know we'll go up there and we'll close the gate. But the gate is not to keep them in. It's to keep out the predators. And this is the same with our congregations. You can come and go in the congregation. You can freely give or not freely give. You can share or not share. That's the form of government that Christ was creating. It was a government, as Paul says, based on the perfect law of liberty. You're not bound. Your wealth is not bound. We don't take all your gold and put it in Fort Knox. We don't take all your silver and your wealth. You people say, well, gold and silver aren't important because in the last days they will cast it away. Well, the fact is, is that's how come you don't have any, because you've cast it away. You've gone to notes. You've gone to promissory notes that aren't even promissory. If you go to the Federal Reserve website and you look up what a Federal Reserve note is, they'll tell you right on the website that it has no value. Because you've already thrown your gold and silver away. You have no value in your purse, like Moses said to have. Now... A lot of modern Christians will quote Jesus who says, you know, you were to give up everything and come follow him. Well, that was only for those who wanted to be his ministers. His disciples were training to be the ministers of his kingdom. It's my pleasure to appoint unto you the little flock a kingdom. And that's what they were doing. They were becoming the ministers of his church the ordained ministers of his church, the appointed ministers of his church. And they had to give up their personal estate, just like the Levites had done before, and become servants of Christ. Now, they could go back to the world and, and, and live in the world, but the ministers had to be separate. The ministers had a job. They were representatives of Christ. And just as Christ kept himself separate, they also had to be separate. And he was showing them how to do this. And we explain that in many of the books that, and articles that we have available. But the point is, is that he was setting up a system of self-government that would keep the people free. They would have to stop sinning. They, and what are some of those sins? And Jesus names them off. They ask him, what, what must they do to obtain eternal life? He says, you don't know the commandments. Keep them. He's not saying don't keep the commandments. And what commandments are those? It was the Ten Commandments. Don't lie, don't don't cheat, don't steal, don't kill, in a sense of murder. He was telling them how to govern themselves. He said it was absolutely essential that you learn to forgive or your father would not forgive you. 
you can say to me that you believe in Christ but not forgive your neighbor, then your Father will not forgive you, and you do not have access to the forgiveness and grace of Christ because he said you have to forgive your neighbor or you will not be forgiven. Well, that would include debt. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our debtors as we forgive those who trespass against us. So we see a process here of Christ telling you how to be and seek the kingdom of God and be that righteous Christian. And it was much different than what everybody else in the world around them was doing. And we're going to talk more about what they were doing when we return to King the Kingdom. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you. Let our motto be, Don't Tread on Me. LibertyRadioLive.com The Greatest Prophecy DVD Did you ever wonder about the virgin birth? Know somehow that it must be true, but never really understood what it was all about? Perhaps you have faith in Messiah, but cannot quite believe in a virgin birth. Why is it an integral part of faith in Messiah? And why would biblical faith in Messiah be worthless without it? These questions and many more can be discovered by seeing The Greatest Prophecy DVD. The first chapter, for which the DVD was named, is a precise explanation of these mysteries. After seeing chapter 1, you will no longer have any doubt as to why belief in the virgin birth is indispensable to faith in Messiah, and why it is indeed the greatest prophecy of the entire Bible. We will send you the Greatest Prophecy DVD, the booklet, What Year Is It?, and a copy of Richard Bennett's groundbreaking work, The Inquisition, for a mere $5 shipping and handling cost. Any donation above that amount is appreciated. Send your $5 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, T-U-L-A-R-E, Tulare Avenue, in Tulare, California, 93274. Again, send your cash support donation to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, California, 93274. Or see the shopping page at firstamendmentradio.com to send a check or money order. We are grateful to the Almighty for your support. The Greatest Prophecy DVD Hi, Nicholas here. I used to lug those big jugs to the market to fill with water from those coin-operated filter machines. 25 cents a gallon or 5 gallons for a buck. I used to. Then I got the big Berkey. Now I saved my back and hundreds of dollars too. I was paying $600 for the same 3,000 gallons of water that a pair of black Berkey filters will provide from my own tap for only $99. This means that your Berkey water system will entirely pay for itself with only 1,500 gallons of 
use. And then, you will still have 1,500 gallons left before you need to replace the filters. Do the math. Stop throwing your money away on bottled water and filter dispensers that may or may not be delivering as promised. For a limited time, First Amendment Radio is offering 10% off on the most popular Berkey water systems. Visit the shopping page at FirstAmendmentRadio.com or call us at 559-781-3773 for more information. Leave your name and address and we'll send you this special offer. Do it now. First Amendment Radio is an authorized distributor of Berkey products. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdoms. We're talking about congregations in the context of the kingdom of God. And of course, the kingdom of God was at hand at the time of Christ. He actually said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you, talking to the Pharisees, and give it to another who would bear fruit. Because what the Pharisees were doing were no, was no longer bearing fruit. It was not doing what it was supposed to be doing. It was not the uh, the uh, system of self-government that had been set up with Moses was a system based on free will offerings, where the people took care of each other through a system and a network of congregations. Ten families got together, picked a minister. And they picked him from this group of Levites who came out of that walled-in camp with the golden calf, the central treasury of the golden calf. And they, as a people, most of the ones who came out, it wasn't just the Levites who came out, lots of people came out. But those who came out were appointed as Levites and became this whole tribe of Levites who had no inheritance in the land, but their inheritance was in the fact that they were of the matrix. They actually were to belong to God. That's what the Bible says. They belonged to God. They didn't belong to the world. They didn't belong to anybody else. But they were, a, in essence, almost a common purse, but not quite. When they refer to the common purse running towards death, running to evil, uh, binding the people up into a snare, they're not talking about this group of Levites who owned all things in common. Because within the Levites, they couldn't exercise authority one over each other either. That each one could serve, and their inheritance wasn't in the land. They didn't depend upon the land to keep their wealth. Land was one of the first forms of wealth. And like Abraham, they didn't really own any land. Abraham could have owned land in Haran. He probably, his father probably owned land in Ur, but Abraham left his nativity, owned no land, and became a Hebrew wanderer, someone without land, someone without a homeland. Eventually he did buy land, and he, the land he bought was a cemetery plot. Now, if you understood the law, and we talk about this in books like Covenants of the Gods, that there are three pieces of land that can be owned separate from the world untaxable by kings and queens and one is the land of the kings and queens which is the government land whether it's kings or queens or presidents and prime ministers it really doesn't matter the point is government land is not taxable the other land that's not taxable is church land church land is not considered taxable and 
the land of the Levites was not taxable. It was separate because the Levites were separate. The Levites belonged to God, and the land they lived on was dedicated holy ground that belonged to God. That's what holy means, separate. So that land was not taxable by anybody. It was separate. The Levites themselves were not taxable, just like the priests of Egypt were not taxable. The priests of Egypt lived on a stipend, but the priests of God lived on the free will offerings of the people. A lot of people have such a bad taste in their mouth by words like priests and minister that they say, oh, we don't have anything to do with that. We don't need ministers anymore. We're all kings and queens and, and, uh, and priests uh, in the government of God. Well, you are. But there's still this matrix, this firstborn of the nation, because if you're all completely free, you have no standing in the law of nations. You're not a body. You're, you're either a part of one government or another, and we know, Christ said, we weren't to be like the governments of the Gentiles. We were supposed to be this separate, called-out people that operated by faith, hope, and charity, and not by force, fear, and violence. We were supposed to be a peculiar people who could be bound together, not by contract, but by love of one another. And how are we bound? In what manner are we bound? We're bound within congregations and congregations of congregations. In other words, we do not forsake the gathering together, but we don't gather together in these giant mega bodies where you don't even know the guy standing next to you in the pew. You gather together in small, intimate groups that are like families themselves. And we call those groups congregations. And again, I point out, in the Old Testament, we have a group that, uh, is, or a, a word that signifies a congregation, and it's actually translated congregation about 124 times, but it's also translated company 13 times, assembly 9 times, multitude once, and people once, and even swarm. It's con uh, translated swarm. But the interesting thing about that word, is it has these two other ideas mixed into it. And we know they're in there because of the two letters that they have in there, and always the letters of the Hebrew have a meaning. And we've talked about this before, but that meaning of the two words, Delith, includes the meaning of selflessness or charity as a door, as a pathway. And that is, you know, Christ is the epitome of charity, gives his life to save you, to save others. He comes to serve. His, his whole life was service to others. And that is where the delith comes in. The delith has to do with this selfless giving. And that is the way of Christ. And that's why Christ is such a door. But there was another letter in there, the A-N, which has to do with divine providence, or what they call the eye or well of God. In other words, if you have this character of Christ, you have this inexhaustible well of God. And uh, it has a reference to uh, the five states of severity and, and might, is that with this constant flow of charity from you, like Christ, because and it, it, it would be natural because Christ is in you, right? So therefore you would have this constant desire to serve that this is 
why the congregations come together, because they are the health, education, and welfare of their society. And if a congregation comes together on that precept, then precept upon precept would mean congregations come together with other congregations. And that's what we've done here at the festival. We had uh, a number of congregations represented here, as well as several congregations formed while, while they were here. And now what they do after that formation of record, after they do that commitment, and it's not a binding commitment, it's only a binding in honor and conscience. It's like, not like the contracts of the world where once you sign up, you're stuck. You can't get out of it. They're not going to let you go. Our policy is we will let you go all the time. But we're forming these congregations of charity and selflessness seeking the divine providence of God as, as witness before God. And that's, that's one of the things that we have to understand is this. Uh, if you take the word that uh, is composed of uh, the uh, A-N, Vav, Delas, which has those same letters again, A-N and uh, Delas, but they are connected with a vav, which is always a word that connects two ideas. When we see that word uh, presented as a uh, uh, noun or, or descriptive word, it always includes the ideas of testifying, uh, as witness, as record. Uh, that is part of what the congregation is. It's bearing witness. And we see that when Christ comes into Jerusalem, the people bore witness. Hail, highest son of David. That was the witness they were giving. They were recognizing Christ as the highest son of David. That would make him king. And that's very important. And the word is even defined as to bear witness. And that's how governments are established. People bear witness. We hold these truths to be self-evident that Christ is king. So you see these words being brought together, you know, this, a similar word with those same letters, but beginning with the Yod, and then followed by an An and a Della, which almost creates the pronunciation of Yod, which is the Yod letter of the Hebrew alphabet and is defined uh, as a fixed or appointed assembly to meet, like the meet-up people. And it's translated meet, it's translated together, it's a translated assemble, even appointed, set time, even used in reference to marriage with betrothed. It's the agreement to meet. But it isn't a binding contract where you have to meet or you get a penalty. The penalty that comes, comes because you failed to meet. You, you missed out. Like all the people who didn't make it to the festival this year. Many of them wanted to, but they didn't. Some of them could have, but they didn't. And they missed out. And maybe it was meant to be that God wanted them to come next year. But some missed out because they followed a different spirit. Someone led them to go do this instead. And they messed out. 
there is this other word congregation that we see in Exodus 32, 1. And it says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Make us gods which shall be before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we are not what is become of him. They didn't know what became of Moses. And so they gathered themselves. But they that wasn't the word congregation that we see. Uh, we see that same word congregation with the A-N uh, also, beginning with the letter Mem, which we've said many times before has to do with flowing. This congregation came together and was a flowing witness of the charity of God. That's what a congregation is. It's a flowing witness of the charity of God, the, the Spirit of God moving in the hearts and minds of the people. But the congregation we see at the, the foot of Mount Sinai were... Moses had delayed in coming down. They don't use that word. They use a completely different word. Kofay Lamad. Different letters. And it, they're all different. Now, it's still going to be a gathering, but it's actually telling you what type of gathering. It's, it's actually a more general term, but in some ways it gives us a more specific understanding because they did not use the other word that is translated into congregation. They used a word that means something quite different. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall bear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. So now, will you begin to understand the congregation of God? Where one is based on these free will offerings of faith, hope, and charity amongst brothers who know each other, actually know each other. When you sit down in a congregation, you know everybody there. In the first century and second century after Christ, we see minutes of the meetings of the church, and they talk about people providing bread for each other. They call that the Eucharist, Thanksgiving. They were happy to give. Why? Because their society was crumbling all around them. There was uh, depressions and, and, and uh, economic breakdown. They took the silver out of the coin with Nero, and the coins were becoming worth less and less and less. And that meant everything got more and more expensive. And a loaf of bread went from, you know, a, less than a denarii, to something that was hundreds and hundreds of denarii for the same loaf of bread. I mean, you could buy a whole sack of wheat, 30 pounds a week for six denarii, 30, which could make 31 pound loaves for six denarii. And then suddenly, within a very short period of time, it cost you 120,000 denarii to buy the same loaf of bread. But the congregations of God didn't operate commercially. They operated by faith, hope, and charity. And they were there for each other. And they, they, those that had, 
And I'm quoting here. Those that had shared with those that didn't have. In what? A congregation. But it wasn't this congregation that we see forming at the foot of Mount Sinai. That's another completely different word. Now, the word in Acts, uh, and this be Acts 1343, where we see the word congregation, it says, Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Now, what does that mean, to continue in the grace of God? What were they leaving? Because this congregation was not a congregation of the church. It was a congregation of many Jews and religious proselytes. And they began to follow Paul and Barnabas. Others did not. And so that congregation, that word in Acts, translated congregation, is from the word from which we get the English word synagogue. So they were saying in that synagogue, because those were Jews, those were members of the system of Corbin set up by Herod. If they had a need, they would get paid at the synagogue because the synagogues were government buildings. The temple was a government building. Even the temple of Saturn was a government building. The temple of Ephesus was a government building. Ephesus was a world bank. The Temple of Saturn was a registry office. It's where you registered your birth certificates. Foreign diplomats registered their papers there. It was a place where you put legal documents. That's what these temples were. And you have temples today. You have temples all over. And that's where you go to pray if you have a need. First century church... They went to church to pray, and those that had shared with those that did not have enough. Just like John the Baptist said, if you have two coats and your neighbor has none, share. Where do you do that? In church. Why do you do it in church? Why do you congregate in church to do that? So you make sure nobody is left behind. They tell you in the, that first century and just in the martyrs' uh, minutes of the meeting of the early church, they sent out diaconos, deacons. To go out and find those who did not come in, and they knew who didn't come in because they knew each other because their churches and congregation were networks. And this is what a congregation of record is. How do you know where to send your deacon to check on the needs of the local inhabitants that are a part of your congregation? You know who's a part of your congregation. They wrote it down. They said, we are a part of this congregation. So when there was a need... They could go to the congregation, to the church, and say, there's a need. And when you didn't show up, somebody actually went out and looked for you, just like with the blind man that Christ had healed. And he was cast out of the synagogue. He was cast out because he could no longer get benefits because he claimed Christ. He said he believed in Christ. He could not get any more benefits from the government set up by Herod and the Pharisees. So he was cast out. But Jesus went looking for him and said, I am him. This is faith. Saying, I'm not going to force my neighbor to contribute to my welfare. 
I'm not going to covet my neighbor's goods just because the government says it's okay. Because Christ's government said it's not okay. Thou shalt not covet. It's simple. Yeah, I know you didn't hear it before. Many of you are regular listeners. You have heard it before. But you who are on the new radio stations that are hearing these shows, you haven't heard it before. So write us and tell us how surprised you are to hear what you should have been hearing in your churches all along. That you should be taking care of the neighbors in your congregations by faith, hope, and charity. By love. And not by force. Not by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. And if you're doing that wicked thing, and you're sending out the wicked servant to beat your neighbor up if he doesn't contribute what you think he ought to contribute or what your masters think they, he ought to contribute, then you're a part of the wicked servant's sin. And as the wicked servant is going to be cast into bondage, so are you going to be cast into bondage. And you don't, I don't want that. I want you to be saved. I want you to actually believe in Christ. Not some watered-down idea of Christ, but actually Christ. And if you really believe in Christ, you will keep his commandments. You will gather together and care for one another. You will actually love your neighbors in congregation as much as you love yourself. And you will actually love, you will have an outreach love as well. And we'll talk about that at another time, but that's, that has to do with the sacrifice of the red heifer, which I was telling somebody who came to the festival and, and the meetings that we had just recently. The word heifer and the word red aren't really what the text is all about. It's not about a red cow that hasn't had any calves yet, the red heifer. That's what a heifer is. It's a cow that hasn't had any calves yet. But the sacrifice of the red heifer had nothing to do with a heifer cow or the color red. It didn't. And that's a bold statement. But it's true. And we'll tell you more about that at another time. We're talking about congregations here on Keys of the Kingdom. And we're going to be looking at some of what you should be doing and how you would gather together. As we said before, that, that you have this word, uh, mem, uh, vav, en, lamad. And that's an Old Testament word that is often translated congregation. And that word congregation, uh, which was a synagogue by association, means uh, a gathering which bears witness as a matter of record to the charity and the purposes of God. If we assume that the purposes of God is that we walk in righteousness, and of course Christ states that that's what we're supposed to be doing, we certainly know that's what was the major theme originally, then we know that we must be keeping his ways. And his ways haven't changed, so you still can't be coveting your neighbor's goods. The ways of the Lord's congregation would not be like those of Cain or Nimrod, or the evil Pharaoh. We won't be looking like we're in the bondage of Egypt. And a lot of people, I mean, they just cringe at the idea that they might be in the bondage of Egypt. And of course, they are in the bondage of Egypt. 
So what do we do? We, we've discovered that we're in the bondage of Egypt. We, we look more like Cain and Caesar and Nimrod and Pharaoh than we look like the kingdom of God. We're certainly not operating by faith, hope, and charity. We certainly are forcing our neighbors to contribute to our welfare. We're going to talk a little bit about the distinction between the system of God and the system of men and where you draw the line. And we're not doing it to condemn anybody, but we're doing it so that all may be saved, that they may repent, that they may turn around, that they may go another way. In John 10, 3 through 27, it says, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. The porter, porter, what does that mean? The gatekeeper. The porters of the temple were called gatekeepers, or the gatekeepers of the temple were called porters. What were they letting in and out? They were receiving the contributions of the people. And they were redistributing the wealth of the people. But it was only by free will offering. So you could constantly say, I don't think he's doing a good job. I'm not going to give him anything. I think that guy over there is doing a good job. I'm going to give to him. Do you realize when you can do that, you're the government of the people for the people and by the people. And if you can't make that free will choice, then you're in bondage. And we'll talk about how to move from that state to another state when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. If you'd like to get a copy of this program, you may subscribe at libertyradiolive.com for only $45 a month. And you'll receive an MP3 CD weekly of all the First Amendment Rights Media Group programs. As a bonus, we'll send you a password for our audio archives online. That's a $15 value. Or you can request any month of any program on one MP3 CD for a minimum donation of only $20. Or any single program on tape, MP3 CD, or CD for only $15. You can do all this online at LibertyRadioLive.com. Just follow the instructions to make a donation or subscribe. Don't do Internet? Then call 559-781-3773, 559-781-3773, and we'll be honored to help you. Thank you from all of us here at the First Amendment Rights Media Group. I pledge allegiance to the King of Kings and to his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. One holy nation and our heavenly Father, grace, mercy, justice for all.
welcome back. And we're talking about the distinction between the governments of God and the governments of men. And, of course, we've seen Cain as a government of man. Cain went out of the presence of God and created the first city-state. And the people came into that city-state and were bound by contracts with Cain. That's why the Ten Commandments starts off with, Thou shalt make no covenants with them nor with their gods. And, of course, we know if you read Strong's Concordance, if you read uh, our articles on God's many that Paul talks about, that gods are those who are ruling judges, have a right to exercise authority over you. They can make laws for you. They are your rulers. They are not titular. You are subjects of those men or women. And they exercise authority. And you're not to make covenants with them because the more you make covenants with them, the more power you give them. The contract makes the law. And how do you make those covenants stick? You apply for benefits. You pray to them. You pray to them for benefits. And they become the benefactors who exercise authority. They're not really benefactors. They're never really benefactors because they never give you what is theirs. They give you what belongs to your neighbor. And so, therefore, they must take away from your neighbor to provide you with benefits. And that is the common purse, the one purse that runs towards death, the foolish thing that Saul tried. And it's a snare. What should have been for your welfare becomes a snare when you set up systems like that. But Christ never set up a system like that. Moses never set up a system like that. Abraham never set up a system like that. Elijah didn't promote a system like that. That they promoted is that you love your neighbor as yourself and that you take care of each other with free will offerings, just like John the Baptist and the early church was doing. And the more you do that, the closer you come to being free. The more you forgive the debts. You know, that's one of the things people don't understand how systems like Social Security, and every nation has it. I don't want to pick on Social Security. The You know, Canada has their social insurance number. The United States has its Social Security number. And... and Santa Domingo has a, a Seshala. Once you get the Seshala, 20% of what you earn goes to the government. Same in Egypt. Still to this day, one-fifth of everything you make goes to the government. Even if you make a million dollars, ten million dollars, hundred million dollars, one-fifth of what you make goes to the government. Because there's a ceiling limit. And that's the way it was in the days of Joseph, and that's the way it's today. And that's what it means returning to the bondage of Egypt. Now, in the kingdom of God, you still have to pay 10, 20, 30 percent, maybe even 50 percent, in order to be right with God. But you have the right to choose. But if you've made covenants with them and with their gods, you may no longer have the right to choose. Can you simply rescind those contracts? Well, you certainly can try, but if they don't agree, I mean, where do you have a contract where you get to change the terms? You don't find that, especially if you've already received a benefit. And I don't know anybody hardly that has it. I mean, public school's a benefit. Health care's a benefit. Employment's a benefit. All these things are benefits. So you're receiving the benefit, you owe the tax. And this is why Christ said, pay the tax if you owe the tax. Be friends with the unrighteous man. Realize that you have gone back into bondage of Egypt. 
in bondage of Egypt, you only had to pay one-fifth of everything you earned to the Pharaoh. And that was the bondage of Egypt. And that's where we've gone. We've come to that point. And I don't know any other way to break it to you. Everybody's worried about New World Order this, New World Order that. You're, you're in the New World Order. It's already here. They're just trying to figure out how to break it to you. The problem is the New World Order is not all that orderly. And it's certainly not all that new. You have joined the congregation of Cain and Pharaoh and Caesar. And you think that you're going to fix things by electing a different Caesar. You know, we don't, we don't like Augustus. Let's try Tiberius. Oh, we don't like Tiberius. Let's try Caligula. Oh, we don't like Caligula. Let's try Claudius. Well, Claudius ain't half bad, but Nero, he was pretty tough. All the way up to even Marcus Aurelius, who things prospered a little bit under Marcus Aurelius, but he persecuted Christians more than anybody else, officially. They weren't always as drastic a persecution, but it was it was more complete because it was official. And you don't even know why he was persecuting them because you read his books. You know, the meditations of Marcus Aurelius, the emperor of Rome in 168 A.D. And he didn't seem like a half-bad guy, but he hated Christians. He feared Christians. Because the union and discipline of the Christians kind of made them think that they could take over the empire. Because it was still on kind of shaky ground. And was going to get shakier and shakier. Because they, they didn't really re resolve anything about taking the silver out of the coin and things like that. And they didn't resolve their constant wars. They were still having wars all over. You know, they'd become the policemen of the world, and it was bankrupting them. And so, you know, when you go on to Commodius and these other emperors, I mean, they were changing emperors every couple of weeks there for a while. It got really unstable. And people were starving, and disease was rampant, and orphans were everywhere, and the cessation of marriage was rampant. And, of course, that was because they had gone to a socialist state. I mean, they had, for one period there, they, they had universal health care in Rome, totally bankrupting the government. But the Christians were doing something completely different. They were living by faith, hope, and charity because they believed Christ. They didn't just believe in this artificial idea of Christ. Now, I know a lot of you want to believe that you believe in Christ. And, and I believe that in your hearts, many of you do. But you need to hear the whole gospel of the kingdom. And you need to act upon the truth of that gospel, which was Jesus Christ appointed ministers. Now, I, don't, and I can't tell you who those ministers are. I can tell you who I think some of them are. You tell me who you think is the minister of Christ. Who is leading you towards righteousness? And who is leading you towards the men who call themselves benefactors who exercise authority? Because if they're leading you to them and they're saying, if you have a need, you just pray to them. But if you have any desire to tithe, you give to us. Your tithing was to support the government of God. Not to build crystal cathedrals. Not to get big screen TVs. 
It was to take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society through pure religion. And that meant that you had to have ministers who would handle that matter. Because you couldn't, you weren't supposed to neglect the daily ministration of the widows and orphans and needy of your society. You were supposed to provide for them. Of course, now, if they were young enough to get remarried, they should. If they were young enough and healthy enough to keep working, they should. They shouldn't become a burden to society. And good Christian-hearted people don't want to be a burden to their neighbor. And some say, oh, I don't want to go ask them at church. I'll just go down to the government. Don't you realize that when you go to the government, you're a burden to your neighbor? You say, oh, but they owe me that. Now, I'm not picking on you for collecting Social Security. I know many of you do. And, and you're trapped in that. You don't, don't have any way of surviving. But you have to start seeking the kingdom. And the kingdom doesn't operate a Social Security system like that of the pharaohs or Pharisees. And that's what they were. The, the Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God in effect. And we have an article up. You can look that up and what that means. And we go through the details and have all the footnotes. But the Corbin of the Pharisees was a system of social welfare. Corbin means sacrifice. You sacrifice to take care of the needy of your society, and you should. But the system set up by Herod compelled that sacrifice once you signed up, and you signed up by getting baptized. But John the Baptist was out there baptizing people and not making them. He said, no, you do it by charity. I don't know how anything could be simpler and, and clearer. Christ was preaching charity. Are you taking care of one another with charity, or are you taking care of one another because you apply to men who call themselves benefactors and exercise authority? Because Jesus says it was not to be that way with you, and it is that way with most churches. And that's an abomination to God. That is the abomination of abominations. It's, I don't care about the politics. I'm, I'm apolitical. I care about the kingdom and righteousness. I care about pure religion. Pure religion is to do that unspotted by the world. And the word world there is unconstitutional order or system of government. Yeah, I know I'm repeating a lot of things that many of you have heard, but some people are coming on to their new radio stations and have not heard that. And the more people we have that hear that, they can hear it here first. But it isn't enough to hear. You have to become doers of the word. You need to form congregations. Like I said, we had several form this, or a couple form this, this in the last few days. And we have more people thinking about it, more people going home, chewing on the idea of becoming a part of those people who are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, righteousness means you may have to maintain the agreements that you've already made. But you can start moving and preparing to move in the other directions. When they finally got their opportunity to opt out in Egypt, they opted out in one day. But they had been preparing for that day of opting out for years. When they opted out on the day of Pentecost, because anybody who got the baptism of Christ were opting out of one system of the Pharisees, the Corbin of the Pharisees that made the word of God to none effect, and they were now opting into the system of Corbin, sacrifice, free will offerings, perfect law of liberty, that was set up by Christ and the apostles and John the Baptist. 
where if you had two coats, you would share with those that had none. And how do you do that and make sure that it's done well? I mean, you could have a guy going around with no coat. He said, I have no coat. Help me. Help me. And you say, oh, I, I have two coats. Here, here's another coat. And you give him a coat. He has that coat. And then he takes that coat down and sells it. And then goes to the next house. I have no coat. I have no coat. And you say, oh, well, I can't have this guy go away with coats, so I'll give him another coat. You find out at the end of the year that he sold $150,000 worth of coats. <laughs> now, it's a, it's a silly exaggeration, but the reality is, is that kind of stuff goes on. I always remember a neighbor of ours that were sitting in a parking lot waiting for his wife who was shopping, and he was watching one of these bums on the street corner, you know, in these kind of raggedy clothes and sitting there, you know, and collecting money. And he saw people stopping, and he thought, I wonder how much that guy gets in a day. And he just was sitting there, you know, in his car, listening to the radio, waiting for his wife. And then the guy kind of got up and walked away from the corner, and he walked way out in the parking lot, and he walked over to a really nice car. And he took off his raggedy coat, and he threw it in the back seat, and he got in his car. <laughs> he drove away. Really nice car. <laughs> And I don't know how many hundreds of dollars he picked up that day. <laughs> and you don't know whether he is a deserving poor or the undeserving poor. But if you were to congregate together, and the byproduct of that is that when really bad things happen, you would have a group of people who actually care enough about each other to congregate together. You would have what the early church had during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. You would have what Israel had when they marched through the desert filled with Amalekites and Malachites and all sorts of dangers. You'd have a network of people who love their neighbor as themselves. And that network of people who love them that save their neighbors as themselves was called the church. Church in the wilderness and the church established by Jesus Christ, his church. But you have to work at it. You, you, can't, you can't fold up your talents and put them in a napkin. You have to gather together and become the congregation of God, the church established by Jesus Christ. Now, how do you know what I say is true? Now, of course, you can read the books. You can read the articles. There's, there's hundreds of footnotes in there. And you can study and study and study and study and study. And that's good. That's great better than watching TV all the time. But how do you really know? I mean, I could be really clever deceiving you. You can't just follow me. Follow your heart. I mean, look around you. What's happening in the world? Those of you who are older, you know what it used to be like in this country, and you've seen it changing. What's changing it? Some president is changing it? A spirit is changing it. Spirit of covetousness. Spirit of greed. A spirit of sloth. Spirit of avarice. From such, stay away. But while you're staying away from that, shouldn't you be congregating with the antithesis of evil, which is the light of Christ? You need, you need to take another look 
at the congregation of God and what it's all about. You need to take another look at the gospel of the kingdom of God. You need to become a part of the journey of those who are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then you'll know, and if you do it righteously, you'll know that when the unrighteous mammon faileth, you will be suitable for more righteous habitations. We've gone a long ways away from the righteousness of God. We've gone a long ways away from where we should be at in the kingdom. And we were told that this would happen. And we need to turn around and go back the other way. In Hebrews 12:23, we say, To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in the heavens, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirit of just men made perfect. The general assembly. The general assembly from the word Pentagoras in the Greek. It's translated there, you know, uh, general assembly only once because it only appears once in the Bible. There in Hebrews. 1223. It means actually a kind of a festival or a gathering, a whole people. You see, we're a whole people when we operate according to the character of Christ, when we believe in Christ, when we do it the will of the Father. Not those who just say, Lord, Lord, but those who are actually doing the will of the Father, who have the Father in them and are operating. Now, I know a lot of people think that Christ is in them and they, they feel this kind of emotional charge that's provided by big screen TVs and big sound systems and and charismatic preachers, which of course evil people can have all those things. And, and we know there's going to be lots of people who think they're following Christ. And he says, get you from me, I know you're not. I, mean, I know that if we really follow Christ, we will look like we love our neighbor as ourselves. If we're really following Christ, we will gather with other people who are seeking to do the same thing. And we will try to stay away and shun those people who are doing the opposite of what Christ said. You know, the backbiters and the liars and the cheats and the stealers. We will avoid them. Now, if they have any sign of repenting, we will, you know, we are to preach to them. We are to be rebuked them. But we are to be careful about casting our pearls to swine, too. You know, we don't have to go into the middle of some evil place all the time. And if God sends you there, it's okay, because you'll be safe, because he sent you. But the message is very specific, very clear. And we're just not doing it, which is why the world is such a... You know, I don't know how many times I deal with people who think that, oh, you know, my life is a mess because of this guy and that guy and this other guy and what these other people did and who's in the White House and who's, uh, you know, in the Parliament or wherever you're at in whatever country. Your life is a mess because you haven't been following the ways of Christ. Now, some of you think your life is just hunky-dory. It's great. You know, everything is okay. But is it? What's your heart telling you? Because that's where Christ is building his church. 
He's going to write his laws upon your heart and upon your mind. Should you be coveting your neighbor's goods in any way? You know, so many, uh, what is it, Republicans, uh, what is the, that's the right? Uh, I always get that left-right thing, but I guess left is like socialist and communist and the right is the other side. problem is what we call right today is really quite left. <laughs> it's quite left because they don't want uh, health care, but they don't mind public schools. You know, we're going to have Colin Gunn on the show again. But uh, because he just sent me his new book, and and we'll talk about public schools. And also, uh, Ken Ham sent me his book, and I, I'll in my spare time I have to look these over, and then we'll have to have to have them on the show. But uh, you know, each of these men have gone on a journey to look think outside the box, and they have words of wisdom to share with us, and maybe we have some words of wisdom to share with them. Because if you're forsaking the gathering together to homeschool your children and to rethink some of the messages that are coming down to us to a society that is totally bankrupt of common sense, if not of money, then, you know, we need to take a look. We need to go a little farther, go the extra mile, rethink our thinking, because there's some reason that things are a mess, and it? And we may be a part of that. And we need to take a look at how that is. So the General Assembly, that's all the people. You know, that's uh, uh, you know that's this gathering, this public gathering of all the people. And again, in the definition of that word, it's actually the word festival. And of course, like I was saying earlier, we just had a festival here. And that festival here... Uh, was just a gathering, a public gathering of people. And we invited the strangers in our midst. Now, next year we'll be inviting even more. And we'll be inviting you. And the big meeting will probably be Labor Day. And yes, that doesn't conform to the Jewish calendar for those people who are wanting to stick real close to the Jewish calendar. And, of course, one of the reasons why is it makes it easier for you to gather in your local areas on whatever day you so choose. Because we're into the perfect law of liberty. But... If you gather here first, you will have some news from all over. You will have some new information from all over. And we're big into new information, which is really not all that new. It's old information that you just haven't been told yet. We're the voice of one crying in the wilderness, and we are crying out in the wilderness. It was quite a culture shock to a lot of the people that came here, came here from a long ways off. And they suddenly said, wow, this is different. And they saw things that they had never seen before. And uh, I didn't see anybody go away without a smile. Uh, except for some of them were a little sad to go away. <laughs> they didn't want to go. But uh, And now we have another shift. Uh, another group of people came. A uh, couple last night and some more this morning. And, uh, and then, of course, we have surprise visitors from time to time. And it's great, great fellowship, great learning experience, and we hope to have these more and more and more often throughout the year and workshops talking about some of these things that you might need to know because there's lots of things you need to know other than just the biblical things. And we have quite a network of people that are very talented that are just anxious to share with you what they've learned 
according to the perfect law of liberty. And these are the benefits. These are the perks of the kingdom. Because we're the benefactors who don't exercise authority. We're the benefactors who want to live by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty and want you to be free as much as we want to be free. And maybe some of us even want to be free, want you to be free more than they want to be free. And so they're willing to give up their freedom and willing to give up their time and their life so that you may have life more abundant. And that is really the essence of Christ. When you have a society like that, that work together all over the world, then kings like Marcus Aurelius will tremble and fear you. And, yeah, they'll persecute you a little bit, but you will thrive. Not just survive, but you will thrive. We have all kinds of people talking about health and diet and different things. But I, I don't think we've laughed so much in a long time. Now, we're big we're big laughers here. We're always joking around, and we work real hard, but, you know, we do it with a light heart. But there was a lot of laughter this last week. And somebody pointed out the more you laugh, the more alkaline your your blood gets, which is a healthier state for your body. And so it got, so we were joking about when everybody was laughing, uh, we're just saying we're making alkaline bodies here. And uh, everybody went away, changed a little bit, for the good, I hope. But anyway, if you want to be a part of that, join us at His Holy Church at the and join the network and find out what we're doing. Find out what it means to seek the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And find out how that early church operated and how that could operate today. You know, in the... Black's Law Dictionary, they define church in its most general sense. So that would be like the General Assembly. It's a religious society founded and established by Jesus Christ to receive, preserve, and propagate his doctrines and ordinances. Now, what better way of propagating his doctrines and ordinances than by living them? You know, the church is not just a place to talk about it. It's to actually do it. And you cannot love your neighbor unless you congregate with them. You, you you can't help him out unless you know where he needs help. And how will you know if you don't congregate? And since you have to think about your neighbor's neighbor as much as yourself, that means you have to congregate in a network. And that's what the early church was doing. That's why you see these tithing men and hundreds men and older men and, uh, and hundreds in Germany and all these different things which we talk about in the book, That Kingdom Comes. They were everywhere because they had to gather together in order to do what Christ said. You had to gather together in order to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not just about homeschooling your kids and making your living and being this separate individual. If someone said, well, you don't have to join an organization. Well, you don't really join a congregation. It's a free assembly. It's not even a free association, and we've talked about why that is. It's a free assembly. The congregation, the general assembly, is a free assembly. If it's not a free assembly, then it's not the perfect law of liberty. So we show how to gather together and again go back to those original words that come from the same word that means to witness. So we have this thing we call a congregation of record. And of course, if you abbreviate that, that's a core. Now we could have called it a congregation of witnesses. 
But then if you abbreviated it, it would have been a cow. <laughs> we didn't want to do that. So we call it a congregation of record. And the same word that's translated witness in the Bible is also translated record. Even in the New Testament, they talk about them going back and making a record. You know, Barnabas and them, after they visit with all these other congregations, they go back and make a record. Why? They need to, because when hard time comes, they're going to need to help one another. And you're going to need to do that, too. So being a home church is not enough. You have to become someone who is seeking the kingdom of God in general free assembly. We'll be back in a moment. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com The program you are listening to is 100% sponsored by you, the listener, on this First Amendment Rights Media channel. You will notice that there are few commercials on this radio network. There's a good reason for that. Corporate advertising dollars come with strings that limit program content. So without your help, these programs cannot continue on Internet or our several affiliates. If you benefit by the educational law programs, we ask you to give. If you are admonished or nurtured by the Bible and ministry programs, we ask you to give. If some voice a cause that you are passionate about, we ask you to give. If you believe in any of these, we ask you to support them as you would a missionary on a continual basis, as if giving a tithe for Missionary Radio. These programs are not commercially viable and must be supported by those faithful to the cause of truth. Look for the button to sponsor your favorite programs at our Listen and Schedule pages on the Internet. Then, when you subscribe, we will send you the last quarterly MP3 CD of that program immediately and continue to do so with each new quarter. We will also give you unlimited archive access to all of our programs. We're asking you to give much less than a tithe so that you may also send support directly to a particular program host, cause, and anywhere else the Spirit may lead you. Do all to the glory of our God and Creator, for His holy nation, the only kingdom that will last forever. Thank you for listening. Hi, Nicholas here. I used to lug those big jugs to the market to fill with water from those coin-operated filter machines. 25 cents a gallon or 5 gallons for a buck. I used to. Then I got the big Berkey. Now I save my back and hundreds of dollars too. I was paying $600 for the same 3,000 gallons of water that a pair of black Berkey filters will provide for my own tap for only $99. This means that your Berkey water system will entirely pay for itself with only 1,500 gallons of 
use. And then, you will still have 1,500 gallons left before you need to replace the filters. Do the math. Stop throwing your money away on bottled water and filter dispensers that may or may not be delivering as promised. For a limited time, First Amendment Radio is offering 10% off on the most popular Berkey water systems. Visit the shopping page at FirstAmendmentRadio.com or call us at 559-781-3773 for more information. Leave your name and address and we'll send you this special offer. Do it now. First Amendment Radio is an authorized distributor of Berkey products. talking about the church his church his holy church his separate church his church what is church church is ecclesia ecclesia means called out his called out of what his called out of sin what sin sin of coveting your neighbor's goods is the agency of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority this is the gospel this is what you're supposed to be doing seeking the kingdom of god the right to be ruled by god and seeking his righteousness, which would mean keeping the commandments, because it's not righteous not to keep the commandments. You can't tell me you believe in Jesus and not keep the commandments. What's so hard about keeping the commandments if you believe in Jesus? If you love Jesus, won't you keep his commandments? So what was the church? I shall build my church. He built it on what? How did Peter know that Jesus was who Jesus was? Because the Father revealed it to him in his heart and in his mind. I said, are you Peter? You know this, not because flesh and blood has revealed it to you, but my Father in heaven. His Father in heaven was writing upon his heart and upon his mind. Who's writing on yours? Are you sitting there trying to justify the fact that you covet your neighbor's goods? You say, well, I paid into that. I paid into it. I have a right to it. Well, you certainly have a right to it. But having a right to something, you have the right to be wrong. You have the right to make a mistake. You have the right to elect Saul. But it's still a rejection of God. And the repercussions of that is that when God, you cry out to God, he will not hear you in that day. That's what it says. He's going to take and take and take and take. And when you finally cry out, he's, God's not going to hear you. Because you already rejected him. Now, if you repent and forgive your neighbor, what? His debts. In other words, that's what's going on. When you sacrifice to the Corbin of the Pharisees, it's not on deposit for you. It goes out to take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society. That's your sacrifice. That's your Corbin. Corbin means sacrifice. It went out to take care of the needy of your society. Period. That's it. That It's gone. You don't have a right to anything. Except you have a right to expect the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority will go out and force your neighbor to pay for you. That's what's going on. Read the book by the guy who devised this system for the United States, but it's the same thing in all these other countries. And it's not to be that way with you if you're a Christian. And in many countries, the people are starting to see that. In this country, the people are start, some people are starting to see it, but more must see it. If you will not come together and help one another, provide for one another out of free will offerings, then you will be 
under tribute because you're slothful in the ways of God. And therefore you shall be under tribute. That's what Proverbs says. So why do you expect different? Do you think you can change that with a vote? You must change that by turning around and going another way. And you need to because the unrighteous mammon is not maybe going to fail. It is going to fail today, tomorrow. I don't know. It doesn't matter. That's tomorrow. What you have to do is what you have to do today. You know, another part of that definition of the church is a body or community of Christians. That's people following Christ, you know. Christians are those who are actually following Christ, not just those who say we're Christians, but those who are actually doing what he said to do. It's that body or community of Christians united under one form of government. Wow. The church is a government. Yeah, it's not like the other government, so don't don't make direct across. When you say the word government, everybody thinks it's, you know, something that's got armies and soldiers and policemen and lawmakers and everything, but that all governments don't have all those things, at least like in the form that you're commonly seeing them. The government of God has armies, armies of angels. It has health, education, and welfare. But it's all based on free will offerings. It's all based on love for one another. It's just a different kind of government. And if you want to seek that kind of government, hey, get a hold of us. Because we've got a lot of people starting to seek that kind of government. But it's a body or community. It's not just a congregation. It's not just a cronies. It's not just your little socialite club backscratchers it's a body or community of Christians under one form of government and they're under that government by what? because they signed a contract? because they joined something and they've sworn their allegiance? no by the profession of one faith 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 in what? faith in charity Faith in love. Faith in that I'll cast my bread upon the waters and it may come back to me. It's not a guarantee. You're not going to get entitlements with the church. But if you go the way of Christ, you you have to operate by that faith that he will provide for you. How does he provide for you? Often through the church, through your neighbor, through those who love you. Those who honor God by caring for you, which you're supposed to be doing, too. By the profession of one faith. Profession, that's a record. I profess that I want to work with other people to learn to live by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty because I want to be free and I want my neighbor to be free as much as I'm going to be free. And the observance of the same rituals and ceremonies. Rituals and ceremonies, what's that? What kind of rituals and ceremonies? You know, this is one of the most dangerous things, is that we unmoor the ritual from the precept. Now, they had a ritual of, you know, what was the Feast of Booths. They also call it, we also hear it called the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. We have these little festivals and days. And that's part of our rituals. But don't unmoor that ritual from the precept, the purpose. 
purpose is not to gather just on a certain day, but gather on a day that everybody else gathers on. Agree to that. Well, they're all gathering there. Let's go there. Gather there. But they're not using our calendar. Oh, we'll, we'll work that out later, but we can't work that out unless we go. And maybe we'll go there and we'll find that there are the strangers in our midst, and they don't really have it figured out yet. They don't really, and they don't really figure it out. That's another thing. Remember, you can't figure it out. It's revealed to you by the Father. It's great to study, but don't think your study is going to give you the answers. Blessed are you because you know this not because flesh and blood, but because my Father in heaven revealed it. I mean, anybody can read the Bible, but not everybody can understand it, and it's not there for private interpretation. It's there by the, so to help you with the revelation of God, to bear witness to what you should be hearing in your heart and your mind from God direct. And then you will be priest and king. Yet the elders are so important in a congregation. They are the foundation of the congregation if they will accept the cornerstone into their individual hearts and operate according to the ways of God. Charity is not to be token. It is to be the life of blood. Do you want token blood in you? You know? I mean, how many cords is the human body supposed to hold? Well, it would just give you a token amount of that blood, and you're dead. If you want life, you must live the ways of Christ, the ways of the early church. And the rituals and ceremonies is taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society, whoever they might be, to faith, hope, and charity. And the fact is, is that if things get worse in the world today, there will be lots of needs and more need for you to gather together. In John 13, 34, we see a new commandment I give unto you. It's really not all that new either. But it was new to them because they had gone away from it. They had strayed away from it. That ye love one another as I have loved you. And why do I say that's not a new commandment? Because Moses said the same thing, love thy neighbor as thyself. But this was new to them because they had forgotten the ways of Moses, because they had been listening to the ways of the Pharisees, just as modern Christians are listening to the ways of the modern Pharisees, which are often Christian preachers. Now, I don't want to pick on those Christian preachers. I want them to repent if they need repenting, and most of them do. Most of them do. John fifteen nine. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. What was his love? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Giving. Sacrifice. Sacrifice is not done away with. The sacrifice of the Pharisees is done away with. The Corbin of the Pharisees, Corbin meaning sacrifice, is done away with. In his kingdom. It may be not done away with where you're at, but in his kingdom it's done away with. But then maybe you're not in his kingdom. Have you been seeking it? Have you been trying to figure out how to take care of one another without force, without violence, without compelled offerings, without compelled sacrifice? You need to start figuring out how to do that. 
That's seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How do you do this? How do we take care of ourselves as a society without a gun to the temple of our neighbor? People say, nobody uses a gun. Well, you don't contribute. Somebody with a gun is going to show up. Because you're in the wrong church. You join the wrong temple. You're worshiping at the wrong church and temple. That's what you're doing. And your priests, your administrators, they carry guns and force you to contribute. And if you don't contribute enough, they'll fine you. They'll turn a $1,000 debt that they say you owe into $10,000 or 10000 into $40,000. They'll do that. And they do it all the time because they want to scare the bejesus out of you to make sure you keep doing it. That's just the way they operate. I'm not saying it's illegal. It's legal because you've signed up. You made a covenant with them. I know a lot of you want to think you haven't, but you have. But there's hope. But you got to start doing it the way Christ said to do it. Start following his rituals and ceremonies. Because if you don't, then he's going to beat the tar out of you. You're going to have to repent and do righteousness even to the unrighteous mammon you have to be a friend if that's where you're at i don't i don't know where everybody's at everybody's in a different place in Acts 7 38 we see this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angels which spake to him in the mount sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us you know those old altars of Abraham? If you read the book, Thy Kingdom Come, you'll come to the unbelievable realization that those were living stones that built those altars. They were. They were living stones. And we are to be those same kind of living stones in the name of Christ, which is just continuing what Moses said to do. Not what you are told Moses said to do, but what actually he told you to do. And you are to build living altars. Altars of clay, that's you. Altars of stone, that's your ministers. Your ordained ministers who are conforming to Christ. Who are not being like the benefactors of the world, the princes of the world who call themselves benefactors. Can you turn around? That's a, that's a wonderful thing about turning around. You don't have to turn around all at once. You can turn around a little at a time. That's the wonderful thing about seeking the kingdom. You don't have to do it all at once. You can start seeking it. Learning to get your kingdom legs underneath you. Learning how to walk in the kingdom. Walk in the ways of Christ. Precept upon precept. How to preserve his doctrine. Stop coveting your neighbor's goods stop praying to the wicked servants for what you need start looking to build the congregation of God that can take care of true needs when they are there but also strengthens the poor in the time of affluence and saves the poor in a time 
of not so much affluence, which is a time that is coming upon us faster than you can imagine. So anyway, we're going to keep this message coming, and we're going to look for lots of ways to bring it to you. Uh, in Acts 8.1, we see, And Saul was consenting unto his death. Consenting to what? I mean, how did Saul die? Saul of the Old Testament. He fell on his own sword. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. That's what we're looking for, apostle types, people who are really dedicated, dedicated towards helping people understand the ways of the kingdom like the apostles. I mean, they aren't the apostles. The apostles were the apostles, but we need men like that. And we're we're finding them, and we're starting to gather them together. And they'll, they'll need your support, because silver and gold have they none. They've given everything up so that they can preach the gospel of the kingdom. And it's up to you. They're, they're ready to go in and out the gates with the sword of Christ, which is the truth. And you're hearing it here. Now you must act upon that truth and be a part of the assembly of God, the righteousness of God. It's up to you to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When they sent Barnabas in Acts 11.22, is written, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch and which is where they first were called Christians the, the tidings that, that's the record that's a testimony they weren't just oh I just meet with my little home church and you know we, we just love God so much we don't really want to be a part of anybody else because we're so content being this way. You know, over this last week, a number of people have come face-to-face with shepherding on the desert. We have a herd of sheep out here on the church property, and uh, it's a great teacher, great example. And in that, we have a black-faced buck who has bred some of the white-faced ewes, and we will sell all those. We will not keep those. Uh, but they produce a little bit fatter one, and it's something we've had from years ago. But they've noticed that the model face lambs out of that buck, which are is a, not a gregarious buck, it's a farm flock buck. It's been, it comes from a sheep that's been raised in fields, fenced fields, for hundreds of years. And you put it out on the range where they can roam around on a thousand acres. They don't stay with the herd. They're always breaking off. They're always dividing off into these little groups. They they have enough herd strength to have a little group, but they're not a part of the whole herd. Herd, And so they end up with a little group of 10 or 11 sheep wandering around. And yesterday there was a little group of three. And we could hear the coyotes not far from them. <laughs> and somebody went up, Justice went up and chased them back. You know, he, he just tried to get between, and he says, they are stubborn. They don't want to go with the whole herd. They just... 
They just want to go separate. They just want to go their own little way. They, they've got their little group, and they think that's all they need. They don't, they don't see the coyote in the bushes until it's too late. They need to get with the whole herd. Now, when you say to the whole herd, we don't fence them in. We don't tie them together. They come to the, together as a herd because they choose to, because it's wise, because it's the rituals and ceremonies of range sheep that range freely on the desert. They move together as one body, one community. They choose to because it's in their nature, and it's in the nature of Christians to come together, not only as congregations, but as one body in a free assembly, not bound by anything but the love of Christ in the hearts of every one of them. That is a powerful thing, powerful, powerful thing. Can you be a part of that? Can you gather together with others? Are you going to argue? Are you going to be a backbiter? Are you going to be someone who loves their neighbor as themselves? These are the choices. They're before you right now. You can gather with us or not. And even after you gather with us, if you choose to no longer gather with us, you can leave. You can't do that in the other governments. This is the form of government, the only form of government that allows you to come and go. It does not wall you in. It does not bind you up. It sets you free. But you have to be ready to set others free. Free from your want. Free from your demands. And live by that faith, hope, and charity that Christ preached. Can you do that? John 3, 1, 12. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record and ye know that our record is true. That's why we call it congregations of record. Because if you form a congregation of record, yeah, we put some stuff down on a piece of paper, but we know it's true when it is true, when we see it, when you bear witness to the fact that you actually care about others as much as you care about ourselves. If you go to our website, you can find tons of stuff, audios, uh, articles, books, you can read them all for free. But if you really want to know what's going on, you got to become part of it. you got to connect with others. Yeah, those people. But these are kingdom people, most of them, many of them. They're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They're seeking to have Christ live in their hearts. And they want to share that and everything else they know with you. You have to have that same heart of sharing. And you can't do that hiding in your house. You can't do that being separate from those who are seeking the kingdom. You have to not forsake the gathering together. In Psalms twenty six twelve it says, My foot standeth in an even place, and the congregations will I bless the Lord. And that's what you need to do, that in the congregation, you get to be like Christ. In the congregations, you get to learn to love one another, to be a part of one another, to share with one another. 
according to your free will choice. But it's Christ who tells you when. Now, we actually have a problem with some people that have gathered. They're too giving. They're too giving. <laughs> we have to temper that. You do not want to give to the point where you make your neighbor weak, where you make others weak. You know, it's really something that we're torn because it's so hard to find people that are really giving. And when you find somebody who's just absolutely giving, and it's just so much a part of their nature of giving, you know, you don't want to stifle that at all. You know, it's such a blessing. But you don't want them to give to the point where, you know, they weaken others. And certainly not even weaken themselves. And, and many churches, you know, they don't mind, you know, give, 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 give. You know, come up here and then they tell you that, oh, yeah, and the more you give, the more Christ will give to you. And, and he would. But that's not, you know, we're not trying to hit that. We want you to be led by the Holy Spirit. And that. That's a still small voice. So until we meet again, practice that. God bless. Peace be upon your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.